see if I can remember everything that you do, man. So it's producer, <laughs> it's badass basis, it's connector, philosopher, all kinds of stuff, man. Charles Kim, which I'm so happy to have on the podcast. Thanks, uh, man. How's how's everything going out there, man? Oh, things are. You know, New York has been, for the most part, I just, my wife and I just moved here back in June. So it's been kind of like a whirlwind of just getting to know the city. Um, but obviously, it's not the same kind of city that we, you know, we're used to visiting. But mm -hmm. it's been a pretty nice, like, I will say that, you know, moving here from Seattle, it's been a pretty easy transition because the city has been actually really chill, <laughs> like in a way that Seattle's <laughs> chill. <laughs> Cause I really? think some, yeah, well, there's just a lot of people were here, so yeah, um, so it kind of gave us like this really interesting way to like ease into the city. So we've we've been we've been enjoying it, man. The food's been good, you know. Been working out a lot at home, just making a lot of music, and you know, doing school. So it's it's been good. School. Tell me about school. So what's yeah. what's happening with that? No, I I just started my doctoral program here at Columbia. Oh, congratulations. Thanks, man. Um, it's, it's actually, it's in music education. So the, it's been kind of like a long journey, but like I decided to apply because I knew my wife was, you know, she got a job offer out here like as early as last year. So I knew I was like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to like, you know, switch some gears, like, you know, think about like the future and what I want to be doing. And I kind of had this thing to myself where I was like, you know, I'm like 35 now. But I was thinking about myself in 10 years and I'm already at 45 years old. Like, do I still want to be writing and working, producing like pop songs to sell to like 18 year old kids? Right. And I'm like, man, I, I don't think I'd be, <laughs> I don't think I'd be like crazy happy doing that. Right. So, um, but I do want to obviously be involved with music. Nothing wrong with pop music, but it's just, you know, I was just kind of thinking about my life trajectory at that point. Right. And right. So given that I just decided to apply to music you know, get a doctorate in music education. So here I'm really trying to take, you know, it's, it's trying to think about like theories and methods for the 21st century musician, like as a way of combining technology and, you know, musicianship and just kind of like this wild world we're living in trying to project where we're going in the future. Absolutely, absolutely. Shout out to Dane Schultz, who's also at Columbia. He's doing ethnomusicology there. Oh, word. Uh, awesome. I should connect you guys. Yeah, he does a lot Very of his awesome. work in Cuban music, and he's working uh, with Christopher Washburn, if I, I believe. Um, yeah, I'll connect you guys. And man, what an amazing I'm trying program. to join your ranks, man. I'm trying to join uh, uh, your doctor of <laughs> life, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I, at this point, I think what you bring up is, it's like actually the, the same thing I'm trying to tackle in my dissertation right now. So it's how do we move forward in a world that's interconnected, that everybody is kind of depending and listening to and aware and of everyone else in a way that just wasn't true, what, 50 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, 20 years ago even. But given everything that's going on right now, how do we move forward to, holistically, right? How mm -hmm. can we, as a globe, how can we as interconnected societies move forward? You know, and, and that's, and I'm, it's so good to hear that you're going in that direction and especially in music education. Cause for, for me, whenever we've done music together, whenever we've talked together, there's always been this very holistic sense that I get from you. You know, you're very spiritual, you're very philosophical, but you're also, you also have, man, you know the music and you connect with people in some, such a fundamental way. And that's something okay. I've always appreciated about you, man. You know, so I think that's, I'm glad that you're gonna be teaching people music. I think that's, the world needs you there. Oh man, likewise, <laughs> man, likewise. I appreciate thank you, thank that, you. thank you, man. Oh man, it's the truth. So on that 
subject, where did where did all this music stuff start? So where did you? I mean, it's always cool to hear how music started, but where what was the point for you when you said, mm -hmm. okay, you know what, music is something that I'm gonna dedicate at least a substantial part of my life to. Yeah. What was that inspiration? What was that that impetus? Dude, I, I mean, honestly, I got into music because I felt left out. To be completely frank, <laughs> so it was like. I think I was my it was my sophomore year of high school, and and I had never played music before that in my life, and I, I loved it. I listened to I think my the only song music that I was listening to was K-pop and G-funk. Those were like oh. the two the two genres I was listening to in my life at that point. And <laughs> you know my mom my mom sang obviously, and so she was always singing around the house. So I'm I'm sure there's something wrapped up in that, but it was. I was at my friend's house, two of my friends, I, one of them, you know, actually, Sam King. Yeah. And so Sam and another friend, David Song, they were both like really good at playing guitar. Like, you know, they were just like jamming. And I was, you know, I was just kind of the third man out. I was like sitting there in the corner and I was just like watching them being like, man, that'd be so cool. Like, it's amazing how they can do that. And so my friend David goes, walks into the hallway, pulls out a bass guitar and he hands it to me. He's like, hey man, like you should learn how to play this so that we could all jam together. And I'll, you know, obviously at that moment, to me, it was just kind of like, whoa, this is crazy. It's like the first time I really held an instrument. And I was like, this is kind of, and it happened to be a bass. And, but for me, it was kind of like this way to really, like, not only just fit in, but more like find a place to belong in a group, right? Mm. And, and music was like this vehicle to, that would allow me to enter into a different community. And I mean, I got obsessed. Like after that, I was just playing like, you know, four hours a day, like, you know, my grades went like this, when the musician <laughs> went up, and, you know, and like, with, with like a lot of people, I just played in church all the time, and, but I think, thinking about that moment, it was really this, I think back upon that, and how my life has evolved since that point, and it's always been that, you know, music has been this really amazing gateway portal, really, that I've been able to meet all kinds of amazing people through it, in all kinds of parts of society, all kinds of people in like doing so many different things, but that truly love music. And so for me, it's been like that. I feel like that kind of essence is like how it started with music is something that I feel like is continuing as I get older. I did not know that. Because the way that you <laughs> play, how old were you when you first, when you first held that bass then, when you started? I, I was 15 or 16, 15 you or 16. Were 15. Yeah, I, I could have sworn. Man. When we were playing together, when we first started playing together, through Kamal, Kenyatta, of course. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Shout out, shout out, man. B-O-G. <laughs> yeah. Yoda. Yoda. Exactly, Yoda. man. So I could have sworn that you were playing since, like, you were a baby, man. You had facility on the instrument. that I, I remember uh, thinking, Jesus, like, this guy gets around this instrument. In the pocket, man. This is something that I feel that maybe musicians know a lot about, but people who don't know music very well probably mm -hmm. don't, probably hear this, but they don't know exactly what it is. Anybody in the rhythm section, right? So this is like bass, piano, drum set, of course. If we're talking like North American music, pop stuff. If there's a pocket, if everyone is lining up just perfectly rhythmically, mm -hmm. that is like I'm talking about funk music, there needs to be a pocket, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, with Latin music, of course, there's pockets. Anything with rhythm is a pocket. But really, when you're listening to like who comes to mind right now is Rick James, mm -hmm. uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Tower of Power, this kind of deep symmetry or how would you explain it man how would you explain pocket the way that everyone was lining up it's so it's so ethereal almost it's hard to get at it's like you know it, it's 
I, I don't want to sound like too like new agey and shit, but it's like, it, <laughs> it's it. like, you know, it's like, it's super, it's just, it's like a meditative thing, right? Cause it's like, it is a meditative thing. It is. Cause you know, like even with like, what I would describe that about your playing too, right? It's like, there's like this way of each person individually, you kind of like carve out your own little like, like zone, like on the mm -hmm. stage or wherever you are. And you're really just playing the same thing over and over again. Like, mm -hmm. like, you, you know, maybe there's like, you know two or three different variations that may occur at certain points in the song mm -hmm. but it like conceptually you're really responsible for like a certain set of notes played mm -hmm. in a certain kind of way but repetitiously right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so but there comes a moment where you get so lost in that groove in what you're doing but by you getting lost in your little singular thing and every person in the stage together are getting lost in their singular thing and somehow they all like connect together and they're like moving as a unit, even though you're so hyper aware of what you're doing, like personally. And, and to me, it's like thinking about the religious, like, you know, music, music religious traditions from around the world, whether it's like Morocco and the Sufis or like, you know, the drummers from Korea, like, you know, any of these kinds of moments, like people, that sort of tradition of people really getting lost in a trance together when, and, the, the unity of all those moments and these parts come together. Like, I think that's a fundamental thing, right? And, and we, you know, we call it pocket here, like in the States, I think, right? Or groove or whatever you want to call it. But I think it's of that kind of same essence where, you know, people are, it's like people really fusing together as a unit. And there's something mm -hmm. that to me, like that's the magic of the pocket, right? Not, you know, you can, business people try to write about this, like, you know, companies being moving as one unit. You know, there's like a lot of that kind of stuff everywhere, but, and to me, in music, like, it's like, you know, you get to feel it, like, viscerally. Oh, for sure. It is. And there's almost, if I'm going to jump off that new agey cliff, right, there's, <laughs> there's something almost telepathic about mm -hmm. a deep pocket because there is a sense of reliance, right? So you're hyper-focused on this little part that you're playing, right? Let's say you're playing bass, you have a line. If you're playing drum set, it's usually like, <clears throat> something like that you're completely aware of what you're doing because you're trying to make sure that every note you play lands specifically in the right spot. So that's, that's the hyper awareness. But at the same time, it's almost like you're feeling what you're playing so that you can listen to what everyone else mm. in that section is playing True. to make yeah. micro adjustments. Mm. So it's a full body thing. And then there's also a telepathic element because you know where the people, if you know the musicians well enough, you know how they're going to move. Mm -hmm. so you anticipate these things so when you are in a rhythm session that's really tight it's almost as if you know okay i know chuck at this point in his line he's going to do this little thing here so yeah, i'm going to yeah, set yeah. him up before he does it <laughs> and then he does yeah. it and it sounds like these things have been pre-recorded and it's all in the moment it, it's for sure i'm getting chills even thinking about it yeah, right yeah, now yeah, it's, it's weird man so anyway the reason why i bring this up is because your pocket is so nasty man like that no, one, what one of one of the first times we played that pocket was so deep and I, it was one of the things that I appreciated so much about your playing. You know, I thought that you had been playing since, since you were a child because you had no, that. Man. It takes a long time to develop that, man. Thank it's you. It's not man. easy. Well, I, on that telepathic note, I've actually been doing some research about that shit. Mm -hmm. And what I've discovered is that there's this researcher named Charles Lim, who he, he has like TED Talks and all that. He's, I think he's gotten pretty well known for it, but he studies improvisation and neuroscience, right? Mm -hmm. um, but him and there's this whole school of scientists that study this kind of improvisational work but one of the researchers on his team um 
there was this article that came out where they were studying two different people that were playing these rhythm games with each other, mm-hmm. but they were both like set up in MRI machines. Mm-hmm. But what they discovered is that when the two people start, they start playing in sync with each other, your, your, um, I think it was either the alpha, no, it wasn't alpha. It was, I believe it was the theta waves, the theta brain waves in like in your brain for both of these two parties, they actually start moving in sync with each other. Wow. So like literally on the physics level, you have these brain waves like that are combining with each other and they're literally communicating in sync and communicating. So like that whole part you're talking about, like, I think, you know, telepathy is one way to call it, but it's like, we're literally when we're playing, we're like, you know, sending signals to each other, mm-hmm. like on that sort of like mental level. And like, there's like this unity happening, mm-hmm. which is That's... crazy that you can like study that stuff now. Right? It's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what was his name again? Charles Lin. Charles Lim. I need to check out. L-I-M-B. L-I-M. Oh, Lim. Okay. Uh-huh. My, my buddy is getting his, uh, his doctorate in psychology right now. And he's, nice. uh, he was telling me, shout out to Mark Ruiz, who was uh, episode, episode one, actually, of this podcast. Nice. So he was recently telling me that there is a specific type of therapy that they're looking into now that's called drumming therapy. Mm. Because something about people, and again, I should have him explain this, but it was something about when people undergo trauma and they're working through trauma, what they lose is that sense of security. But when they are able to play rhythms in the drum circle, for example, they're able to predict the rhythms because the rhythms are cyclical. Mm. And this allows them a sense of security that through this allows them to connect with other people and work through the trauma in a very specific mm. way. You know, it's fascinating stuff. And I should have him on again mm. so he can talk about this. Uh, in detail but it's just it's so crazy how music in so many ways can be so beneficial you know it's and i'm glad that there's more and more research coming out from different disciplines really Mm -hmm. you know uh that's allowing this richer understanding of the beneficial aspects of music in general because it's it's one thing to go to a concert but it's another thing to use it specifically to help people you know i think that's very powerful yeah but uh on that note why don't we see if I can't play some of your playing really quick. I want to see if I can't see if we can't play some of this dirty pocket that I'm talking about. So you got to, can you see this here? Oh, this one. Nice. Okay. What is, first of all, set this up. What are you playing? What is this project? Because this project sounds amazing. Oh man. What's going on here? This one, I'm just, uh, I've, I've just been, you know, one of my main things I love doing is that I just like making beats. Um, so some of these go on to like, you know, like I sell to labels, some of them different artists want to jump on and it goes on their albums. But this is just kind of my thing, like every, every week, you know, I'm just working on something. And so this one, particularly, I've been kind of on this tip of where moving to New York, you know, like, I mean, New York is like, New York is disco, New York is funk, New York is like Tribe Called Quest brand of hip hop, right? It's like Wu-Tang. So like so many of those kinds of like classic New York hip hop kinds of sounds. So I've been exploring a lot of that stuff. So this, I kind of made it right before the the decision of the election came out. And oh. I was like, you know, I was like, at the end of the day, like, you know, whatever happens, I, I genuinely believe in the power of the spirit of humanity. And mm-hmm. I feel like we're going to figure a way to like, you know, keep going and keep moving. So it was just kind of like, I made something out of that. Regardless oh, of so, outcome. So, th- so this thing is, uh, this is my Moog Sub 37. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. classic synth. And it's going through a bunch of pedals and delays and tape echoes and stuff like that. And so I'm just playing one particular part of it that's going to 
you would be feeding. But this would be functioning as like a baseline, right? Uh, no, no. So what I'm playing, this is more like a top lead end. It's like this top echo oh. end that's playing. The baseline oh, I had tracked beforehand, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Let's, let's listen to this. Oh, that's right, that's right. Chuck, that's yeah. some badass shit, man. That's some Thanks, badass shit. Man. Thanks, man. Uh, so are you constructing that that patch that you're using, that sound? You're constructing it right there with all them little knobs and everything like that. You're making that specifically yeah. for this one little clip. Yeah, I think there's track. a it's uh it's the synthesizer is just like a regular digital sound. So I'm like kind of, you know, um pitching the timbre of it, like really figuring mm -hmm. out when it's gonna open up. And then it goes through a whole like signal chain of like guitar pedals that I use to like manipulate these sounds. So all that echo and all that stuff you hear is like literally going analog through the signals going through all that. Oh my God. Is this, is this available for people to see and to listen to? Did you make a whole video of doing this or? Um, I have, the whole... Not a whole video. I have, I just have a beat that I announced. Man, I want to see more. Okay. So let's some mouse then some mouse. This is the one I think I was thinking about when you were talking about what I was saying, the baseline, I believe. Yeah, this is definitely bass. Yeah, this is this is like inspired by like, you know, like 80s or disco, like Studio 54 kind of stuff. So and what's the story behind this? Uh, this one this I had just right I literally just moved to New York. And so I was walking around. It turns I live in this area near Sutton Place. Yeah. And Sutton Place is like this. Sorry about that. I was trying That's to all good. Like, show uh, these pictures here. Yeah, so Sun Place is like this whole, it's just like this classic area of New York. And long story short, this is where, this is the area where MJ and his sister stayed when they were shooting The Wiz with Quincy Jones. Oh, okay. And it was, that was the moment where um, MJ and Quincy linked together and, you know, Off the Wall came out as, as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I was kind of like, wow, like, so this area was, you know, I could just imagine like little Michael running around and like thinking about the vibes he was feeling. And so I was trying to like, you know, imagine that. And so, you know, this baseline and this beat kind of came out of that. Let's see. Let's listen. Thanks, man. You, and you made that that whole the whole beat everything you made it mm -hmm. you constructed it so how are you Every thinking about this because as a percussionist mm -hmm. what i'm hearing is that a go-go in the back and the bass line linking up with the go-go and that's what i'm appreciating like everything is very it's clean and it's tight man so how are you thinking about it when you're making this stuff oh man dude i'm like um so it, it's like to me the it's like going back to the po the pocket thing right the thing yeah. about a pocket and and the loop is to me, like pockets and loops are, they're like, they're brothers, right? That they, they need one another in order to like get lost in that sort of 
like meditative element together. Mm -hmm. So, but the, the thing to me about the pocket and, and a loop is that loops can be stacked. Like yeah. you can, the, the thing is that the, the effect of the meditative effect of the pocket gets compounded as you add more layers on top, right? Mm -hmm. And it becomes thicker and richer. So this really just kind of came out with, you know, that, that the Brazilian, or I don't know what percussion rhythm those are, but I literally just played a bunch, programmed a bunch of MIDI, and then I fed it through like this Brazilian percussion generator. And so like oh. whatever MIDI is I'm playing, it's like triggering all these different loops together. So I extracted that. And then I layered like some hi-hat rhythms on top of that. And then I played like the drums on top of that, like, you know, with the keyboard. Mm -hmm. And and then the the synthesizers, I kind of like, you know, generate some chords through that. And so literally, I for me, the, the whole thing is that I just set up as much of the loop as possible so that when I get to play bass, I can just play freely, like completely through without thinking about adding other stuff. So like to me, like bass, maybe because it's my instrument, it's like, the thing I do at the very end, just because it's like the most enjoyable for me. And when you're thinking about the bass sound, because this is another one of these sounds that you've, you've kind of like tailor made for this specific song, right? The specific mm -hmm. clip. How are you thinking about it? Because it's, man, it's so bassy and it adds so much grit. And mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's just perfect for what's going on here. How are you thinking about constructing and tailor making these sounds, right? Because that's what all these little knobs and everything does. Or for people who aren't familiar with maybe the, the production side of this kind of stuff, right? For non-musicians, it, it isn't like you just kind of walk up to the keyboard and there's a bass sound. You're kind oh, of- Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I'm thinking about is, you know, playing a keyboard bass and a synthesizer particularly, it gives you access to notes that you can't really get on just your normal bass guitar, right? And so what I'm always trying to think about is that you know, modern production, you have access to these frequencies that are in the lower sub-register that you wouldn't normally get in like a funk recording, right? Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, it's like, I, I love to think about like, okay, how do I take what I would do normally on a bass guitar in like a band, like ensemble, like kind of funk section, but how do I add it? How do I put it in a register that you normally couldn't get in that kind of situation? So what I did here is that it's like, I want you to be able to feel it um, but I also want it to be like recognizable to like, you know, like a hip hop kid or like someone mm -hmm. that's doing trap these days. Like I want, I want my bass playing to be able to compete with the 808, right? But in my yeah. own way, I don't, I don't want it to do exactly what an 808 does, but I want to be able to like, for let it to rest in that kind of region. So there I'm like, you know, obviously the, the line that I'm playing, I'm playing it like an octave lower than I normally would, like on a bass mm -hmm. guitar. I'm crafting the sound, so I'm filtering out some of the high end and I'm kind of cutting off some of the sub frequencies. So that way it's a little bit more tame and it sits in a particular pocket in like the, I'm gonna get super nerdy with numbers, but it's like around like the 50 Hertz range. That's where you get a mm -hmm. lot of like that sub punch. Yeah. And then I'm putting that sound through like a distortion. Um, so when you add a little bit of distortion to something, what it does is that it gives you a little bit of crispiness on the higher registers of whatever note you're playing. So that's why you can still hear the notes and it's and it's also gritty. So you get both the low end and you get some of the high end together. So I think that's what I'm kind of paying attention to because then when you have that, then all that mid, mid range is where you hear the percussion go on, the drums are sitting there. So I'm like trying to really like, like hug the whole like song. And it's so cool that you're thinking about it that way, right? Because it's, it is really, I mean, this gets into another part of music production that I'm sure a lot of people, if they do know about it, it would be, you know, for non-musicians, 
if they do know about it, it would be very impressive, right? At least to me. And that is mixing and mastering, right? So really oh, thinking man. about where everything is laying when you listen to it, because it depends on uh, if you're listening to it on normal speakers, on high-end speakers, on earphones, the way the sound moves in the mix is going to depend how you hear it, but also where you're placing everything in the mix. Meaning if the congas are tuned very similar to the drum set, then they're kind of, they're going to, mm -hmm. that's going to mm -hmm. be a problem. So mm -hmm. then if the bass is coming out in that same kind of frequency range, it's going to be a problem. Everything's going to be stepping on each other. Mm -hmm. The Brazilians, uh, there, there's a type of music called pagodi, where mm -hmm. it uses so many different kinds of percussion instruments and all these different instruments, bass, guitar, synths, all this different kind of stuff. They, in my opinion, they have, they have that down pack, man. Their mixing stuff is ridiculous. And mm -hmm. what you're talking about here is making sure that you're not getting in the way of the percussion. Of the of the drums and everything, so you're putting the bass down lower. What we actually hear is what you're saying. Yeah, man. I think the the greatest gift that I feel like I've been able to receive from music was first my first experience of music was being able to play one particular part in a group of people in the same room, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing about as being like you were saying before, the whole like idea of the hyper attentiveness of that one thing you're doing, but how that allows you it opens your ears to, the, to listen to the group, right? Like, I love the way that you put that because I think that's the thing about getting to play in a band that the audience don't really, they don't really get to experience that, right? They just experience like what's being blasted out towards them. Mm -hmm. But you as like a musician, like you get to feel the energy of what it means to like subtly move between different sounds and all that. Mm -hmm. And and really like, if you imagine yourself like, like okay, if you're sitting here as a bassist, I'm like, okay, the drummer's right here you know, to me, the, the conga player's here, but like the horns are over there in that section, the voice is in the middle. It, it kind of gives you like this interesting spatialization of how, where people are in a room in relation to each other and how that mm -hmm. affects the sound. Mm -hmm. So, so much of mixing and mastering for me is about replicating that environment, but inside of a computer software. Right. So like, so that's, a, that's the thing that always is, to me, like mixing and mastering has become like, it was a life changer for me to like really, I, I think in the beginning I had no idea what I was doing because it's like so complicated, right? There's like mm -hmm. so many numbers and knobs and all that. But I think the more you do it and the more familiar you get with it, you start realizing like, oh man, like this is like legitimately like this amazing creative tool. They're like, it's like the sixth man of the band, right? They're like the odd man out. Mm -hmm. They really have a perspective on everything and like the orchestration and the arrangement of it. And so I think that's then, yeah, mixing is like the, you really get to play with the spacing of everybody, but like how much of that part you get to hear from them and how deep the sound goes, like the depth of it, right? So you're like, right. you're managing like all these different spaces together. And that that's, to me, it's like become one of the most like fun things to do in music. It completely affects the way it's consumed completely and experience music I'm talking about and the mastering and the mixing and all this. It's, it's crazy. It's something that, it's one of those things where I look at as, as a musician who's having to kind of conform to making music amidst COVID and amidst all this stuff that's being shut down. And myself, like many musicians, we're just starting to do more and more on our own, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's so much pressure now if you want to keep creating that, okay, well, I just got to get on this laptop and figure something out and make more and more music. You always start to run, a gut up, run up against this wall of, why doesn't this music sound like the things that I hear? Yeah. And you start realizing, okay, well, 
That's because there's somebody somewhere who has spent the majority of their creative energy figuring out ways to make the music sound the way that the musicians want it to sound and with as many variables as possible being, possible being accounted for. Those variables being headphones, speakers, car speakers, all this different stuff, you know, that is, it's humbling in many ways because you, I mean, it's like you get on one top of one model of music and you look to the next one and it's even bigger, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're constantly seeing all these different things. So anyways, that's a little tangent. Going back no, to this, but, this, go ahead, go ahead. No, but, but I like that what you're saying though, because the thing that I constantly run into in teaching a lot of this stuff to different people is that the you have such a high taste already as a musician that you know what it's supposed to sound like because subconsciously you know how your congas are going to sound in one room versus the other and you know how mm -hmm. to adjust your playing in the midst of that versus mm -hmm. you know how to like adjust your playing like versus from one musician to the other so the, all that is a function of your own musicianship and your taste but when it comes to the computer it's like how do you translate all of that taste onto a different medium right Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, I think what the most discouraging part is that they don't hear that same taste being translated immediately. Mm -hmm. But I think that our focus has to shift in terms of that. The laptop itself to me is like, it's the instrument of the 21st century. Like it, it can do all of these things and like, and not more importantly, in order for us to really connect and function on this deeper, like productive level, like, you know, moving on as information gets more tied together what we do like has to be figured out in a way where we can translate it through these laptops. So in that way, it's kind of like we're starting a new instrument. And I think if we start a new instrument in that way, I think our perspective and our expectations has to be rerouted again to being like, all right, how did I first learn how to play an instrument? Right? And like, what are those principles? And figuring out how to extract those principles into like learning this new instrument. Beautiful, beautiful. So. Taking all that into consideration, why don't we listen one more time yeah, to see yeah. how, how you had all of this in mind when you were constructing, number one, this bass sound, right? So mm -hmm. part of this podcast is always trying to make sure that it's accessible to people who don't really do music, because I think that it's, it's one thing to talk to musicians about all this, and then it's kind of like, I don't know, like I love watching documentaries of physicists talking about quantum physics or whatever. There's only so much you can listen to before yeah. you're like, what the fuck, I need to go read. So. <laughs> yeah. What I want to do is I want to make sure that whoever you are listening to this, what Chuck is doing is he's making sure that what he wants you to feel is as accurately as possible coming out of whatever medium you're listening to it through mm -hmm. by making sure that the bass isn't stepping on any other instruments so that when you're listening to it, you're hearing this wall of sound that hits you a very specific way. And he's doing this by manipulating the frequencies, the frequencies that he's playing the bass with, right? Is that how you would say it? Yeah, man, very well put. Okay, let's listen again to this funky ass shit right here. This, man, this is so good. <laughs> is this whole track out somewhere? Where can I go? Uh, it's, um, right now it's being circulated around for different artists to see Damn. who wants to take it, yeah. I wanna hear this on the radio already. Okay, let's listen.
bad. So, and the last thing I want to ask about this specific one. So in terms of chord structure and like form, is that the whole song or was there more to the composition after that? Was that just a little like teaser? Yeah, so it's definitely a teaser. The The chords will, um, like what am I playing there? It's like, playing like a D major, C sharp. Yeah, and then there's like a bridge section where I kind of break it into much like more of like a major feeling. So it's more like mm -hmm. uplifting and like a bit more like more in the flurry. But yeah. I would say that the funk part about it, the groove part, it definitely sticks in that kind of realm. That's bad, man. And your your composition style, or I should say your influences compositionally, I feel like having played with you a lot, I feel like there's a lot of jazz in the way that you think about music, right? Mm -hmm. But is there what else what else is part of Chuck Kim in terms of the composition, uh, or I should say the composer and the, the writer arranger. What else is in there? <laughs> well, I, I, honestly, man, I think it was like so much of what I spent. I mean, there's a lot of, I spent a lot of time playing gospel music. Gospel? Um, yeah, it's, it spent like, a, it was right before I met Kamau actually, like in mm -hmm. college, like I spent a year living in Chicago. I was doing like the service program. So I volunteered on the, on the west side of Chicago living off of like 12 grand for the year. Like it was crazy, right? Wow. And, um, but right across the street from me was like this amazing black church. And I just showed up to one of the rehearsals with the guitar one day and, you know, they didn't kick me out and they just kept telling me to practice and come back. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and eventually I got to sit in with them and then I started playing with them. And that was like an education. It just taught wow. me a lot about, you know, like a lot about pocket, a lot about groove, but much more about like, how do you how do you use music in a way to really set a scene for for other singers mm -hmm. and different people to walk through and so um yeah so there was a lot of gospel there kamal really exposed me to the world right i mean like brazilian music argentinian like everything and but it was also more so from him i really grew a love of like you know motown right motown funk and jazz that you know like jet funk and jazz meets together and create motown pop right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so you know i love man all the motown stuff stevie you know love mj obviously but just that kind of i love when funk and those kinds of rhythms and even jazz chords but jazz chords used in a way where it becomes more popular like more pop right so right. like the modern equivalent for me was like you know i love listening to like the neptunes growing up oh like, to me the neptunes are like the pinnacle of like pop production just because it's mm -hmm. like it's it's out there there's like always like there's always these like weird like uh bridge chord change elements but the groove is always good and the sounds always sound like su super futuristic even if they're like really old instruments mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. yeah I mean, all, all of that i love that um yeah i don't know i just i just kind of wherever i find music man i love it these days i've been listening to a lot of classical actually Maybe because I'm really? in Colombia and like most of my, well, most of my classmates are all like classical trained, right? So I'm like this lone, like kind of out there dude that's like playing like pop music when everybody else is like, you know, Rachmaninoff, Chopin and all that stuff. <laughs> so I'm just like, man, I need, I need to figure out like what's so like, you know, why they're into all this, right? So it's been interesting. I've been kind of learning a lot from them too. Nice. Man, tell me more about this, this black shirt. So that type of music got so we know it colloquially as like gospel music right mm -hmm. but what what is, what is that is that like the churchy sound i feel it's one of those things 
that is in pretty much almost all of American music, American pop music yeah. is in there in one way or another. I mean, as a percussionist, for anyone who's a drummer, I know that gospel chops has been a huge thing, which is, yeah. that has really taken over the drum set sound really in the last, mm -hmm. I don't even know what I would say, 20 years. I mean, even mm -hmm. so much so that there's a Cuban percussionist uh, by the name of Andy Fornet, who plays in Elito Rebe, who is like one of my, that, that orchestra is to me probably the pinnacle of Cuban theme by music. His, he, he doesn't play with them anymore. His sound, man, is so influenced off of Dave Garibaldi, who was like also kind of like the precursor and one of the main um, guys of developing this sound that came out of the churches, as I understand it, that really it has its origins in the church. You know, it, in so many ways, the church has been an institution for American popular music. Oh, and, for sure. You know, you know, so it's always, I always want to hear more about people who play in these, these kind of situations because it's, it's, it's just, it's the catalyst for so much of what we end up hearing on the radio 10 years down the line, you know, 20, whatever. I, I mean, I think, I think you're right, dude. Like the, there is no R&B singer that I know of that's gone, that's broken through the charts that hasn't come out of the church, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I think there is this, the thing about the church to me is that like, A, regardless of whatever the dogma is, as a as a community context it's like the one place where they a they they pay their musicians right so like mm. it's a way for musicians to actually make a living for themselves right mm -hmm. and b it's a way for you have a you have a space to make music every week right so mm -hmm. you have like a group of people coming together and but it's also like there's like this deep competition in the community mm. with it, which i love because it's like it's that gospel chops to me like it's i think about it more as like, it's like an athletic kind of music right there, yeah. there's like there's an athleticism to it, like how how much can you do these like subdivisions like how quickly can you pull them off like you know mm -hmm. so it's like, it's like super flashy in its own way but a lot of that comes from like you know they have like these jam sessions i remember when i was in chicago i'd go to some of these jam sessions and it was like amazing like the best of the best in the city would just show up and they would just like do get out right yeah um but it was out of love right it was like you know the competing to like really push each other and like making sure that you know everybody's getting better right and there's an aspirational component to that too where you have these young kids looking up to these musicians who are like pulling off like these crazy ass changes mm -hmm. and making it sound cool right and then making everybody in the room move to it and right. so i think there's that component to it but the i don't know man it's like it's hard to explain because it's like there's obviously the theory behind it and like you know they're not playing difficult changes really like mm -hmm. when because it, it's church music it has to be something that people can sing along with right mm -hmm. but the creativity comes from like how they're reharming it like i mean they're doing like these crazy like you know what did come out used to call tritone substitutions like you know polyphonics mm -hmm. like they would do all these crazy changes while they're playing but mm -hmm. like because so much of it is about that listening component they're like reacting and responding to each other and so i don't know to me it's like modern it's what jazz was back in the day right like the way that the community was really pushing each other and what i see when they when they're performing is there is very much this sense that they're there especially during the services because this music is played during service right this is mm -hmm. like service music this is worship music as flashy as it may be as you know as a as much as it looks like a concert, the reason why they're there is to amplify the worship. And yeah. for me, that's, that's such a powerful starting place.
because it isn't, I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it's, it never feels like an egotistical thing. It's like, okay, well, we as musicians are here to make sure that people are feeling what the preacher is saying through music. Yes. So one of the things I love lis listening and watching to or watching is when the pianist is playing under what the preacher is saying yeah, 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 and yeah, amplifying the verses, right, for the mm -hmm. people, for the congregation. And then the whole band comes in and it creates this atmosphere that it's, it's I mean, obviously is very powerful. But for me, it's that connection. It's that connection of, okay, the music has to do something. The music isn't existing in and of itself. It's mm -hmm. the conduit through which people are going to experience something greater, experience the divine, Absolutely. right? And there, that, there, there was this one profound moment, man, when I was in Chicago, where it was towards the end of my year there. And by no means am I a good, like, guitarist, but it was this one song that they wanted me to take a solo in. And it was the song that year that I had such difficulty like playing because it was actually like way slower mm. and it, it required a lot of just like nuance in it. But anyways, that was a song they wanted to do it. And like, and it was one of those moments, right? Where you just kind of get lost. You, you feel it and you feel elevated. And so I just kind of started taking the solo. And I think that solo ended up going on for like five to seven minutes. Like, and it's like, yeah. I, don't rem I don't remember it, but I'm just like playing. But it was crazy because as I'm playing, the choir director's looking at me, the preacher's looking at me, and they just keep telling me to go, like, just keep going, mm -hmm. keep going. Pretty soon, like, someone threw a shoe at me, right? Like, literally, <laughs> a, like, a shoe just flew past my head. But I look over at him, and there's no anger. It's more just, like, like, keep going, and, like, towels are being thrown. And eventually, the entire church just is, like, up on their feet. And to me, I'm just like, whoa, like, that was the most wild experience I've, like, ever had in my life. And yeah. afterwards, like the, the music director pulls me aside and he's just like, like, do you, you want to know what just happened there? He's like, no, like, I would love to. And he was like, the thing about like music and, and the church is that when one person really gets caught up in something like that, the, the entire church comes around that person to push them up even higher because the freer one person can get, the freer the community becomes. Wow. And, and, that, and that like was like the thing like that if there's any lesson I'll take away from that year it was that it was this whole notion of like whatever the church means to whatever people like that is the thing that is at the heart of it right and, and in that sense it isn't about ego like you can easily call that ego but from a deeper perspective it's like it's like no like people want you to be free like people want you to find that moment of their freedom because it through that, they become a conduit for the community to be free. And they see that. Wow. And it's like this relationship, this push and pull, you know? That is, that's beautiful. I've never experienced something like that. And I would love to experience something like that. That is crazy. That it's, but you know what? When you see the videos, and I've never, I mean, if anyone wants to invite me to one of these churches so I can <laughs> really play, feel this. Man. Oh my God, oh, I would you love kill to. it. I would love to, I would love to. A buddy of mine in the Bay, played in a church, in a church band like this. And he was going to ask me to play percussion, but then I actually moved to San Diego. So that was the closest uh, I've got. But yeah, if anyone has an invite, if anyone wants a percussionist oh or if anything, if anything would, else, I would love to just feel that. You would kill it, man. Oh my um, God. You have the right spirit for it, dude. Well, we did, actually, we did a few times. We did a few gigs. You invited me to play and that was, that was beautiful too, man. It's, that's oh, one yeah, thing that, yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in LA. I mean, you know, th that's not definitely like that wasn't like a gospel situation. Though. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was more it's chill. Different. It was more chill. It was yeah, 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 yeah. Those are a little different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, man. It's 
it's a beautiful thing. And I've seen it on video. I've, you know, like when we play it, I've seen it in different contexts, different musical contexts. I grew up very religious. So yeah. we had kind of the same thing. I mean, it was seven day Adventist, so they didn't really see music that way. It was a little bit more mm -hmm. strict. They did more hymnal stuff. Uh, but one of my bucket list things for sure is to experience that kind of stuff and to, or oh, that cool. kind of experience, you know, and yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. And it's my, so, awesome. okay. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. For sure. So tell me about this spiritual aspect, man. Cause I, yeah. I know that spirituality, I think, I'm not going to say I know, cause I want to mm -hmm. hear this from you, but I think, and I feel that spirituality plays a very big part in your creative process. Um, you always have struck me as like a very calm centered at peace person. And that comes through in the music, you know, and that to me in and of itself is fascinating, but I would love to hear more about, I mean, the role of that in your music making and your creativity and, and in your person. Yeah, man. The, the, for me, like, you know, I'm a bastard kid. So my, my dad's a, a minister and, I grew up in the church and I even like my, my master's degree was in divinity. So I actually ended up, ended up going to grad school to study, not just spirituality, but like the, like that was, I, I wanted to become a theologian essentially, right? Like I wanted wow. to study the, yeah, I literally, I just wanted to study God, like what is God and what is all of this and what is its relationship to assist humanity. And well, throughout my time there, there, there was always that thing that I'm always thinking about, like, what is, who is God? And what is God's significance and importance to humanity? And is God and humanity even separate, right? It, it, that's another question, right? So as I'm exploring all these questions, here I have this other thing in music, where every time I get to meet people and create music, there's this moment where I completely feel lost in the moment and in the pocket. And, and I experience things while making music that I've experienced growing up in the church and they're very mm -hmm. much related, but I never really quite had the language to put it all together. And mm -hmm. so I will say that as I'm getting older, to me, there's something about like music to me is about essentially it's about creating right in the moment. Mm -hmm. You can either capture what happens in that moment or you can let it be free and just, you know, let it evade and all that. But at the end of the day, when you are playing something and you are creating something, you are doing what you were supposed to do as a human being, right? Mm -hmm. Which is to tap into this higher sense of self, which is where you're taking something that you dream about and you envision and you're making it reality to the senses. That is like godlike behavior, right? If you think about it from that perspective. So, I don't know, I, I feel like the spirituality is a way of whatever, like these days I'm like super into like Buddhism, like, you know, there's for a long time I was into like humanism, but these are all just like systems of thought that really help people tap into the source of what it means mm -hmm. to, to exist in the world, what it means to be human. And essentially like what it means to be generous and to live life with other people. So I think to me, the space that I explore that in is in music, right? Because I think we mm -hmm. experience that all the time. But the beauty of spirituality is that 
it just teaches you how to carry yourself, I think, in, in like the most simplest way. It teaches you how to be present. Um, it teaches you that music is more than just what you create, what you can make money off of, what kind of professionalism you can do from it. But it's more about like, it puts you in touch with yourself. And it really gives you a mirror for you to examine your own emotions, your own thoughts, and to do something productive with it. And I think that's like the most magical thing about music and why I believe like creativity and spirituality are such, they're kind of nebulous. It's hard to define what they are, but yet you know that they're interlinked together when you do it together. So it's a long-winded way of saying it, but I feel like, yeah. Do you write any of this? Do you have like some kind of repository of entries or writings on any of this? Yeah, man. I have like, dude, like I've been, I was literally just, hold on. These are all from like the past nine years. <laughs> wow. So at some point I need a, I mean, you know, part of it is like the reason why I wanted to come to do my doctorate is to start fleshing out some of those things, but get myself into the habit of it. But yeah, man, it's, it's, it's definitely coming. I think it's definitely time, but I have, I write a lot of this down, definitely. And I've seen some of these on your Instagram. They're the beautiful pictures of your handwriting. Oh yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. You posted something recently. Uh, what was it? It was talking about the concrete precedes the abstract. Oh yeah, it was, man. It was you reviewing, I forget his name, uh, something Schaefer, right? Pierre uh, Schaefer. Pierre Schaefer. Man, yeah. talk more about that. Cause that was, that kind of goes in to what we're talking about with the church and that visceral a little bit, you know, but, uh, yeah, man. Talk more about that. And maybe I can, I'll link to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, first of all, can you hold up one of those things? Because they, they yeah. look beautiful, man. Yeah, oh, the, what I've written? Your actual handwriting, man. It looks like pieces of art. Oh, man. Thanks, dude. This is like, this is from my dad. My dad handwrites everything. And so he, the, his penmanship is phenomenal. So like he always, from when I was a kid, he would just like, Right, get me to write things over and over again because you really have your writing has to be good. But. Look at that! Oh, there it is. Look at that, man! It looks like a piece of art. <laughs> Thanks, sir. What kind of pen are you using to write that? It looks like a brush. Oh yeah, these are um, these are like Japanese brush pens. It's uh, called it. New. So it's like they look, look at like. That. So you can. They're really expressive. You can. They're meant for calligraphy, but you know. So you have different kinds of pens and it's just, this is like a way that I love zoning out. This is like my form of meditation sometimes where I feel like there's nothing quite like looking at a blank page or like, you know, mm -hmm. if you're making music a blank session right. and you just, you let it reflect back what it is that you're going through. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, this guy, I've been really into this guy, Pierre Schaefer, um, his books recently only in the past like year or two actually, um, they got translated into English. This is wow. gentleman Pierre Schaefer. <coughs> Excuse me, but he is—he's crazy. So he's a French composer. He's actually considered the godfather of sampling, because this wow. dude was doing sampling techniques back in like the '40s and '50s, years, like decades before hip hop, right? And wow. what's, so he would take. <laughs> 
he would literally have recordings of things on tape and then he would take that tape and then he would cut them up and then put them back into the reel and put and just have a looping back and forth like so he would have multiple tape machines in a room like all playing these different loops together yeah and so he pioneered the the idea of the loop i mean not the loop the loop is ancient right but like he pioneered the use of it with technology right and then that actually inspired the beatles on the revolver album Mm -hmm. there's this one song towards the end of it where um they literally took a bunch of like loops tape loops of you know paul mccartney like ringo all these guys like playing these like drum loops and then -hmm. they would have them all just spitting on a tape at the same time and then they would use the mixing console to just turn up the volumes of each of those loops and they would they made a song that way which is like you know that that's how you make like pop or hip-hop today right like you're just layering these loops together Mm -hmm. but that whole idea the concrete precedes the abstract is like to him, it was deeper than just sampling. It was that so much of Western classical music is about, it starts with the abstract, right? Notations, mm-hmm. ideas, and then it gets translated into the concrete, right? So it's, it's about mm-hmm. starting in the, the mind first. Whereas for him, he's just like, yo, like if you start with the concrete, you start with what's, what's, with what's already real, that is what always comes before the thought. So mm-hmm. the reason why he's saying that though is because he's like, you look in all the major world music traditions, it's the rhythm, it's the concreteness of the embodied act of people playing together mm-hmm. that always precedes whatever idea that comes out of it. Because the whole right. importance is that people exist together first, right? Wow. And so, so he's like, so this whole book is about like him trying to argue this whole perspective of music where, and for me as like, you know, we're living like 2020, right? And it's mm-hmm. like thinking about like, oh man, like the history of sampling and the kind of popular music and the looping that we do is like, it has its roots in like this kind of global citizenship, right? And now like this idea right. of like, let's think beyond like, you know, colonial mentalities, right? Like, let's think about how do we truly coexist, right? So right. I've been like, I've been like tripped out about it. I've been loving reading this guy. I got to check him out, man. Cause that's, that's. That is crazy to think that it was happening so early. I would never right. have thought that it was happening so early. That's what I'm saying. I had no idea. Wow. <laughs> and wow. this guy, oh, actually, you're, this is a, and then he is influenced Tio, the producer that did uh, Bitches Brew with Miles Davis. Of course. Okay. Of so course. the lineage, man, it's, it's like, dude, it's crazy. It's just blowing my mind. Who else are you reading? Uh, reading that, I've been reading... This has been amazing. Oh, okay. So this is like the oldest known uh, recording of Buddha sayings. Yeah. Super simple though. They're just like poems, right? But they're like, yeah. it's been like really dope. I've been love reading that. And this has been dope. Oh, of course. <laughs> Man. Your reading, your reading list is so everywhere. I love it. Yeah, it's fucking, it's too, it's too, uh, it's, it's too crazy. Man. I think it's because like, ended up definitely did too many drugs when I was younger. So my mind is all over the place. But <laughs> It's working out well, man. <laughs> but the, yeah, this, this guy, man, as a philosopher, as like a philosophy, yeah. philosophically inclined person, he has these gems of paragraphs where he like breaks down like the purpose of humanity. And it's like, give us one man give us one find us one find us a little a little something something 
For everyone just listening, he's talking about Nikola Tesla. So don't get it twisted. It is the the real OG. Seriously, man. Teddy that blew my mind is like, if you wish to understand the universe, if you wish to understand the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. Mm. Think about that as a musician, right? It's like right. frequency is the note, the pitch. Vibration is what you emanate. And, and the energy is really what you bring to the table, right? There's like so many different nuances to that. And yeah, man, I was just chewing on it. It's been good. <laughs> Damn, cool, man. Well, on that note, there's so much more to talk about. So I hope we can do this again in the near yeah. future. Um, this has been so cool, man. I mean, halfway because it's been such a long time since we've gotten to hang out. So it's been yeah. cool to, even if it is virtually, to catch up and to, to just listen to your thoughts, man. You've been so influential to me as a person, as somebody who, like I said, you, you have such a spiritual centered vibe to you all the time, you know, musically and as a person. And that imparts itself in many different ways. To me, it allows me a way to kind of absorb that a little bit more and put that into my music and to who I am as a person. So thank you for being who you are, Chuck. It's, oh, man. it's a lot, man. Where can people follow you? They can listen to more of this funky ass music. They can read some <laughs> of your thoughts, some of your writings. How can they uh, get at you? The best place is uh, Instagram. So Chucky, Chucky Kim. So Chucky with a Y, K-I-M. I post all of the projects that I'm working on there. Um, I have a link there to the different musics that I produce for different artists on a Spotify playlist. And um, yeah, I'll probably be posting some other stuff. I'm trying. I'm gonna start doing some other kinds of content soon. But you can definitely follow me there. 